0: of King
1: Darius the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is
2: Kislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Rehimelech to their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord, and the prophets, should I weep and abstain in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? Alright,
1: that's the question. Should we keep Uh, observing the fifth month fast. Now, the fifth month fast was established in memory of the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And it seems appropriate to ask if they ought to keep doing the fast that reminds them of the temple's destruction now that the temple's being rebuilt. Almost seems to make that fast sort of obsolete. Now, they actually are going to later mention some other fasts connected with that. There was the fourth month fast, which uh, reminded them of the breaching of Jerusalem's walls, the tenth month fast, the beginning of the siege of Jerusalem, and the seventh month fast, the murder of Gedaliah. So they come to Zechariah, ultimately, for advice um, as to should they keep these fasts up now that the temple's being rebuilt and kind of the occasion for the fast is sort of passing away. Good question, right? Now, the Lord loves a question like that because he, uh, he answers that in a complex four-part way that goes way beyond the question to deal with a whole lot of things that they needed to know. So, questions or comments about the question. All right, first part of the answer, 4 to 7.
2: Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month, and in the seventh, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with their cities around her and the south and the lowland were inhabited
1: wow so what's the Lord's basic answer should we keep fasting
2: you do it for me or for you you weren't really doing it for me anyhow
1: so you know what difference does that make Now, why did he say you weren't doing it for me? Well, I would say, A, God didn't tell it to. They just started doing it. But B, the facts are reminders and ways of grieving things like the destruction of the temple and the siege of Jerusalem and breaking into Jerusalem. Is that what they should have been grieving? What should they have grieved? Their sin, what were they grieving? The consequences of their sins. We do that sometimes, don't we? You know, the worldly sorrow grieves what the sin does to us, but doesn't grieve the sin. They were really fasting more for their own loss because they've hurt the Lord. They're feeling sorry for themselves. What the Lord says is, these fasts are meaningless anyway. It doesn't matter if you stop them or not. They're really not for me. I didn't tell you to. And they're really not grieving your sin. They're grieving the destruction your sin brought. That's a really profound answer right there. And that's something to think about. You know, I see that happen. You know, I I, especially. uh, You know, I talk to all kinds of guys about purity issues, and so often a guy falls, and he feels he feels horrible. He hates himself. He broke his streak. He's messed up. You know, he feels bad about what he did. He just feels horrible. But it's all poor me. Why? Even sometimes, why has happened to me? Why God let this happen to me? And all this kind of stuff. And it becomes very self-absorbed. It's like the sin was self-absorbed, and his reaction to the sin is self-focused. Instead of turning to God and grieving what we've done to the Lord and apologizing to Him and seeking His grace, we just immerse ourselves in ourselves. That's not hope. That, that's, that's not what we're supposed to be thinking. In fact, I talk to guys who were just torn up. They won't even pray to God. I, I feel too bad about myself, I can't even pray. Well, so, so we add to the fact we hurt God, the fact that now we don't even want to see him or talk to him. You know, it, we've got to really seek the Lord, grieve what we did to God, and seek God. Not just be upset because we messed up and now our streak's gone or
2: whatever. Thoughts or comments? I used to say there was no wrong way to grieve. Of course, that was completely wrong on my part. There's no one right way to grieve, but any right way of grieving emphasizes that God has blessed you with something to grieve about. You know, that you had a great child or spouse or father or mother or job or church or whatever has now been taken away in a current sense. And so in gratitude and thanksgiving, you grieve. And that way of grieving is actually really helpful and it's always right and it always gives glory to God. And truthfully, that way of grieving probably makes you cry more, not less. But it's the right kind of crying. And so we need to make sure our grief is God-focused and gets Him to glory and not sit around feeling sorry for ourselves because any honest accounting, there's not a single person in this room that can count their blessings. There are too many. And even if you could just stop them coming, uh, which you can't, while you're counting, God's adding so many to them you can't keep trying them. And so you can't keep up with them. And so an honest approach is gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. And grief should be based on that. And all grief really is, any kind of grief is always based on gratitude. But too often, we forget that. And we just dwell in feeling bad
1: about things. Now, very good point. I and mean, the focus needs to always be on the relationship with God. Focused on Him. And grief in general needs to be that grief for our sins.
2: Certainly. I think God gives us all these Bible examples and, about some of them, but, and, and we need to become like and I think about Joseph when Joseph was tempted and followed his wife worked off at hand his response was how could I do this great evil and sin against God and I think God gives us examples like that and we would say I want to be like Joseph I want to be like Joseph whatever it may be yes, amen other thoughts
1: let's try one more section and then we'll stop um, 8 to 14
0: and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying thus, uh, thus has the Lord of hosts said dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion each to his brother and do not oppress the widow or the orphan the stranger or the poor and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. And they made their hearts like flint, so that they could not hear the law and the words which the Lord of Hosts had sent by his spirit to the former prophets. Therefore great wrath came from the Lord of Hosts. And it came about that just as he called and they would not listen, so they called and I would not listen, says the Lord of Hosts. But I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations whom they had not known. Thus the land is desolated behind them, so that no one went back and forth, for they made the pleasant land desolate.
1: Well, the point he's making is the reason for their calamity was that they didn't listen or obey what they had been taught, the former prophets. That's the thing that led to the disaster. Now, he starts in verses 9 and 10 by saying, here's what I want. Justice, kindness, compassion to your brother. No oppressing the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the poor. Don't devise evil in your heart toward each other. God always wants impartiality, justice, and truth. And he's always very sensitive to taking advantage of the weak. to, at the risk of uh, saying things that may not be popular, we need to listen to these passages more. They're everywhere. Especially in the Old Testament. How many times does he group the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner? And sometimes the poor? And the point is, those are the most vulnerable classes of society. The easiest ones to take advantage of. And God is extremely sensitive to how we deal with it. We need to see the need to be compassionate, generous, and merciful toward the classes of society that are generally taken advantage of. It worries me that I think many Christians are on the opposite side of this, Especially when it comes to undocumented aliens. We need to love people from other countries, not hate them. We need to want to help them and be thankful we can. This idea that we're against them I don't think has any part of a Christian's life when you look at how much he told the Jews the of the he told the Jews how everywhere you look in the Old Testament, how they were supposed to treat the people from other countries. We need to be very sensitive about that. And that's where sometimes we need to get off of our political agenda and get back on God's agenda. He loves people from other countries every bit as much as he loves us. And we who were aliens in this country have no right to look down on those who are now. Now I realize there's some other questions in that, but we got to work on our attitude on that. We've got to love them and care about them, and be especially sensitive not to exploit. Them. That's one thing that I see that's practical in that. In eleven and twelve, they refused to pay attention. They returned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears from hearing. They were like an ox that wouldn't bear the yoke. They made their hearts like flint they couldn't hear the law now flint is hard as can be you can't engrave it flint won't receive an impression I mean the only thing you would do with flint is knock it with a hammer that's so tough it just breaks but but it's unmoldable it's not pliable they were so stone hearted that they couldn't hear the law they couldn't hear the words God spoke to the former prophets that's what the prophets did why did the wrath come upon them The wrath came upon them because they were they were unfaithful because they didn't listen to the prophets because they had this hard heart so he called they wouldn't listen so now they call i won't listen that's why i scattered them you know so here's the thing what caused the calamity they're fasting over in the first place it was sin it's a lot easier to mourn our losses than to do what God wants us to do now. The thing they need to work on is not fasting, though destructing the temple. They need to start doing what's right. They need to start listening to the voice of the prophets. They need to start living right so they wouldn't face another catastrophe like this. Sometimes we get we get all out of whack. Oh, poor us. Oh, man, it's been so bad. It's been so hard. God's punished us and judged us. Well, He's going to do it again if we don't straighten up and live like we should. They needed to learn the lesson from this, not mourn it. So much as learn from it and decide they're not going to be the hard-hearted people who won't listen to God's message like the previous generation was that God sent into captivity. God can put a lot into a question in answering it. You know, they ask this simple question we keep up this fast, and so far we've seen part A and part B. Part A, you aren't, you aren't doing this fast for me anyhow. Part B, the reason for the calamities you're fasting over is because you are hard-hearted and disobedient. Repent and you won't have to worry about any more of those. I bet he's got some more things to say in chapter 8 that we'll look at after our break. But thoughts and comments, questions on all that. Yes, sir. I think this is what's so wonderful about the Bible is it's just timeless. I mean, what you said last night, you know, hey, guy and... Um, you know, history repeating itself. You know, do you want to repeat? Do you want to do that? Do we today want to repeat that? Are we like the Israelites? I can say this from past experience. Are we looking back? Are we looking back to something else? I mean,
2: we are these people, and if we can, if we don't change, if we don't transform, and we'll make the same mistakes. Yeah. but well,
1: you read the Bible, and sometimes it's like, wow. Did God write this yesterday for me? You know, it, it's uncanny. And, you know, I, I, I'm blessed to do tons of studies on Skype mostly with people. You know, a lot of Christians in Brazil and Mozambique and a few in the U.S. And it's like uncanny. I mean, because I'm doing studies then in all sorts of different books. And it never fails. The, the immediate need is addressed by the very passage we're at. You know, over and over and over and over. Now I the heck of God may be in that sometimes in just directing where we're at. But I think it's also that everything in the Bible is always so applicable to every situation we're in. It's just it's amazing. Men have changed so little. It's just like wow, this is just as relevant today as it was three thousand years ago when it was written. It's it's really it's really amazing. And again, how faith strengthened. today. Well,
0: there's also
2: an echo of Eden here in that you know, the people were with God and they just refused to, to heed his word so he scattered them away from the land of promise
1: uh, you know it's, it's very similar to, to what had already happened there
2: so it's another uh, history repeating itself there yeah. great point yes yeah. I think the more that we try to consider ourselves as really living in God's city which is without loss, when he's our protection, and we just get less wrapped up in politics and who may be the king and the you know, who is in power on earth. And we just trust more in him and
1: are more able to channel the blessings that he's giving
2: us. Amen. Good point. Other thoughts? Well thanks
0: for listening so well. Excellent attention. Really outstanding. It's what makes me enjoy coming here. I appreciate